Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven would preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You pray with me. Jesus, speak to us this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your powerful, authoritative, prophetic word. And Spirit, we pray for your illumination of these words into our hearts. Open up the eyes and the ears of our hearts to see what you would have for us. May we come to know deeper your gospel. Pray, Lord, that you would guard my tongue against anything that is not from you and that you would give me a focus and inspiration and guidance and wisdom as we learn from you, as we sit at your feet and listen. We love you, we thank you, and we pray this in your name, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. This morning we are in the second week of our Galatians series. I would encourage you, if you didn't get to watch the sermon last week, to go back and watch it. That is kind of the foundation of this whole series, the gospel. One of the things our teaching team was talking about as we were questioning what exactly the gospel is, is how when we say the word gospel, oftentimes there's a lot of questions about what does the gospel mean? And last week we talked about it and we started to delve into this idea of grace and peace and the work of Jesus. And I challenged you to memorize this gospel statement where Paul says, grace to you and peace from our Lord, from our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That is the gospel. And, and, and as you think about that and you wonder about that, what that means for you, you may have these questions of, I feel like I don't really understand the gospel. 
When I say that, I know it's, it's related to John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. I know for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But when we say gospel, it seems like, like, like there's more to it. And if you're thinking that way, and maybe there's some confusion, and maybe you're just wondering, do I really get the gospel? We're on the right track, because I believe with all my heart as we read Galatians that we can never get enough of the gospel. Tim Keller says, if you think you know the gospel, you probably don't. And if you don't think you truly understand it, you're probably that much closer. We remember that this book of Galatians was written to Christians. And we know that the gospel, the Greek for gospel means good news, good news for you. And so this question we have over the next, however long it takes us to get through this book of Galatians, is truly trying to understand and live out the gospel. And today, Paul is talking about this idea of gospel compromise. Compromise. I don't know about you, but for me... Uh, during this coronavirus age, uh, there seems to be a lot of necessary compromise in my household. The other day, my daughter Ruth, we have a really hard time uh, getting her to eat her dinner, and we had a nice peaceful dinner because she took a long nap, and she woke up after that, and we were having ice cream, and in my head I just said, you know what, this is going to be a compromise, and Ruth, you get ice cream for dinner. It was a compromise. The other day, you know, I, I, I started thinking about all the food that I've been eating, all the chips and all the sugar and, and all the soda, and, and I was just thinking, man, I'm making all of these compromises, and some of them are okay, and some of them are not so okay. I've also had a hard time with exercising, and so I started running with my friend Carlos, my neighbor. You may know him as our local UPS guy. He's incredible. This guy runs marathons, and so he told me one day, hey, let's start running together. And long story short, he started kind of dragging me along for these runs, and, uh, and it was okay. We would run for a few miles. I could barely walk the next day, and, and, and we were going through this process. And then one day I, walked by, I, I ran by myself, and I don't know what it was, but as I was running, uh, I just all of a sudden decided I don't want to run anymore. And I just started walking. And in my head, I was thinking about this compromise. I was just thinking, I don't want to compromise. I want to exercise. But there was something in me that just felt like I, I'm, I'm over this run, and I walked the rest of the way. And for many of you, in this season, perhaps you are faced with compromise. Perhaps you're thinking about different ways that you are compromising or challenges to compromise. And one of the things, no matter what season you may be in, that Paul is getting after in this text, hear this, is that no matter what season you are in, we never compromise the gospel. It's interesting in these verses, Paul writes in typical fashion of a salutation, just like we would say, dear so-and-so. He follows this format, but typically when you're writing a letter, in all of his other letters, he would go from the salutation, where he says grace and peace to you, he would go from that into a time of thanksgiving. 
And he did this in Corinthians where he would, he would give thanks for the Corinthians who, who were living in the, in, in having all sorts of horrible sin in their church, but he still ha- happened to give thanks to them. But he is so hot about the compromise that this church is doing with regards to the gospel that, that he, gets, he, he skips the thanksgiving. There's no thanksgiving for the Galatians, and he gets straight to talking about these feelings. He says, I am astonished. This Greek is a word related to, I am alarmed, I am disturbed. There are these strong feelings that he has about the church. And the question we ask ourselves is, why is Paul so astonished? Why is he so alarmed? Well, you, if you know the story of Galatia, you know that Paul went on this missionary journey with them. He brought the gospel, the good news that we talked about last week, the good news of Jesus Christ, his forgiveness of our sins by his work on the cross. And and all of these people got saved and became Christians. And he left them excited with experience, all of these miracles. And then he hears about these people that are coming along and that are speaking in lies. And the church is starting to compromise. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. You see, there's this urgency to him. The tense here is a present tense. It's like the people are on the verge of taking this really drastic and horrible step of compromise, of deserting. And the, the word here for deserting is like deserting Oh, it's a military term, like you're switching sides, like you're a turncoat. Like all of a sudden you're, you're on the opposite side. And Paul here is saying, what you are doing, this compromise of the gospel, you aren't just deserting this good news, you are deserting Jesus Christ himself personally. You are deserting him. It's personal. And so we recognize that this gospel compromise is serious and urgent. And as Paul thinks about this, he he helps them understand and helps us understand what he means or what we mean by gospel compromise. Because what were they turning to? He says you're turning to a different gospel. Remember, gospel is a word for good news. So there's a different message that, is being, that has been coming in that is different than the message that Paul has been proclaiming by the authority of Jesus. He says, you've been turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. I like the sarcasm here. There, he says you're turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. In other words, it's baloney. And you're falling into something. He says, you're turning to this different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some, plural, there's a group of people who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. This word here, distort, I would encourage you in your Bibles to circle that. Some translations say pervert. This word relates to a reversal of order. Some would say an inside out. It's getting things in the wrong order here. And what Paul is saying with regards to the gospel is he's telling these people, 
the Galatians, these impressionable Christians, don't miss this. Don't distort. Don't get things in the wrong order. And what he's referring to here are this group of Judaizers who were coming in and they were saying, yeah, that's cool to follow Jesus, to believe in him, but in order to be a Christian, you, 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 you believe that, but you also need to be circumcised and you also need to follow all of these other laws all of the other things from the Old Covenant. And Paul here is saying, no, Jesus' work on the cross is enough. It is perfect, it is finished, and it completes what those laws could not do for you. Because you fell short of those laws. You could not fulfill those laws. And we're going to talk more about that later on in the book of how the law and the gospel relate. But here he is saying, you're compromising the work of Jesus. Because hear this, the, the gospel is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. What I want you to understand as we think about gospel compromises, gospel compromise is trying to add to the good news. It's trying to add to the good news, the good news of salvation. It's saying, that's great news, but also I'm going to add in these other things that I have to do to earn it, these other things that I have to do to get there. And Paul's saying, no, Jesus did that. He paid it all. It's going backwards. It's going back to the old covenant. He's saying, we have the new covenant right here. It'd be like me going and getting one of those old baseball mitts and trying to go play baseball with those when I have a wonderful glove or, 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 or putting a mustache on the Mona Lisa or putting on some, some old clothes from another time that are just silly looking. He's saying, this is the gospel. This is perfect and finished and, you, and they are compromising. They're perverting it. And so gospel compromise is trying to add to the good news. And as I read this, we ask ourselves, and I just want to frame this, and we'll get back to this question, how do I maybe compromise? Are there ways that I add on? It may not relate to the Old Testament uh, ritualistic, traditionalist laws, but it may relate to some religious things that I have propped up as gospel and not what Christ has done. And so we see here that this is very serious because hear this, he goes on, he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. In other words, the messenger is not as important as the message. Paul's saying, if I said this, or even an angel from heaven came down and said something different than the gospel of who Jesus is and what he's done for you in his finished work, let him be accursed. And just to make sure you understand that he's talking about all messengers, he says, and we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Do not compromise. In other words, adding to the good news is bad news. Adding to the good news is bad news. 
it leads to a curse. Because when you start adding and earning, you're getting into the old law, and you're putting your faith in something other than Christ and his work. And this word for cursed is a strong rebuke. It's a strong word. The word is anathema, which relates to damnation and judgment. And he's saying, if you compromise the gospel, this is, you will be anathemaed, cursed. Luther says, as he's commenting on this, in this statement, Paul is breathing fire. He is fuming. He is so mad that the gospel has been compromised. And I think it's important to note here what is happening. He's not talking about working through an issue and asking questions and exploring what it looks like to be in a relationship with Christ. He's not talking about, about, about wondering and having conversations and, 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 and digging into these truths. He's talking about teaching false gospels. He's getting after these false teachers. And so we recognize that adding to the good news is bad news. And as we read this, and as we think about this, we must ask ourselves: am I falling into gospel compromise? As I think about these times that we live in, have I compromised the truth of the finished work of Christ, of what he's done for me? Have I tried to add on? Have I tried to tinker with the gospel, to make my own adjustments to it that fit my likings and my preferences and my, my viewpoints. These are good, honest questions to ask ourselves. And as we think about this, as you think about what this means for you, I want to invite you to take a little bit of a, what I like to call a good gospel gut check. Just some questions to ask yourselves about if you've compromised the gospel. A way to, in essence, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. He says this, as we think about our spiritual life, as we think about our position and our faith and what matters, especially with so much going on today, he says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, check yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test as you check yourselves, ask these honest questions. And so the first thing I want to encourage you as we think about this idea of gospel compromise right now in this moment, check your view of Christ. Check your view of Christ. When you think of Jesus Christ, what, what is your view? Is he a good 
teacher? Is he someone who's kind of there for you and a good counselor and a coach? Is he the the long, beautiful locks and the blue eyes and the, the gentle spirit? I think all those things are true, but the gospel says that he is the Savior who died for you. He is God himself incarnate who came to live a perfect life and die for me. As we get back to that verse earlier in this passage, who gave himself for my sins. And as you check yourself, ask yourself, who is the hero in the story? You see, gospel compromise, I like to put myself as the hero. I like to put myself as the one that overcame, the one, even in my own testimony, like the one that, that, that accomplished so much and did so much, and that is not the gospel. The gospel is gazing at Christ, and he is the hero in the gospel. I love this other passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says this, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. As you think about checking yourself, turn towards the Lord, and we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. As you check yourself, check your view. Our preschool director, Cindy, she said this a while back in, a, in a, a staff meeting that always stuck with me as we were talking about our circumstances and talking about just our view and what we look at. She said this. She said, and she may have been quoting somebody, I don't know, but she said this, we must glance at our problems and gaze at Christ. We must glance, glance at our problems and gaze at Christ. Don't desert him. And isn't that an important and good word as we think about these days? As we think about all of the unknown, all of the opinions, all of face mask or no face mask, conspiracy theory or no conspiracy theory, Virus, or I mean, all of these questions, all of these fears, anxieties, as we sit in these problems, am I looking around at all of these issues or am I just glancing at them and am I gazing at Christ? Am I gazing at the one who not only died but resurrected and is with me, living in me, guiding and directing me? Think about this. Ask yourself, what's your view of Christ? Is he the hero? Is he your personal savior? Tells us in Romans, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, then you will be saved. And then you spend the rest of your life gazing at him. I want to take a moment to think about that. I'm thinking of that song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full at his wonderful 
face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. What are you gazing at, even right now? As you think about this world, are you gazing up? And we don't gaze at a cross because the cross is some sort of magical thing. It represents what Christ did. It represents the Son of God, perfect Lamb of God to take away my sins, dying on a cross. But even as I look at that cross and I leave all of my sins and I leave all of my, all of my issues and all of my circumstances and all of my anxieties and even all of the things that I, all of my strivings and dreams, I leave them all at the cross because Christ died for me. And I lean into his grace and I receive his peace that comes because he is not on the cross because he is resurrected and he is with us. You know, when I was talking about running and compromising with my running, it's interesting when I run with my friend Carlos, I can make it. I don't ever stop and walk. There's something about our relationship and the conversation and, and how he, he pushes me and I don't want to let him down that, I, that I, I'm able to complete the race. And isn't that so much more true of Jesus who is holding us and who's done all of the work and he's the one who's done the running and we just need to be focused on who he is and what he's done. Isn't that a good gospel gut check for you and me this Lord's Day. And as you check your view of Christ, get that right. That's the first thing. Check your view of others. Check your view of others. How do you look at others? How do you treat others? Do you treat others through the lens of grace and peace? I'm incredibly challenged and convicted by Paul's words to the Philippians about our response and the way that we, as a church, are called to treat each other. Look at what it says here. So there, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, any response to what He has done, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, gospel. Having the same love. Being in full accord and of one mind. And what is that love? Love that lays down their life for each other. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Jesus Christ. As I think about how I treat others, am I considering them? I, I had this challenge the other day going to the grocery store. I'm not a huge face mask guy. And as I was going to the grocery store, I'm like, I am not wearing this face mask. I don't know that it really even does anything, and I have my own personal opinions about it, but I started to think about this passage and started to think about 
how Jesus says, consider others. Consider how somebody else may think about me walking around without the face mask. And even though I may lay down my own selfish ambition, my own arrogant pride, I do that out of my love for Christ. Do you see that? That's just a small example, but I think we have a plethora of opportunities to love each other. I just picture when we come back together as a church, we're going to come back and there's going to be all sorts of different opinions and conclusions about how we can worship. And I just want to, whenever we do come back, hopefully sooner than later, that we come back with this, I'm going to lay down my own biases, my own, the gospel plus this, out of my love for Christ. And I'm also going to do that with how I treat the world. Do you see this? Out of my love for Christ, I lay down my own opinions for the sake of him and the sake of others. I don't know about you, but that's a hard, convicting word for me. And as I think about this gospel, I also recognize that this, as I think about my view of others, if this is good news, and it is, it should change my view of sharing this news for others. Romans 1.16, in your reading plans, you read this. It says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power to save anyone. Do I believe that it can save, that it can resurrect dead things how you view others in light of the gospel. And finally, check your view of Christ, check your view of others, and also check your view of yourself. Check your view of yourself. In this passage, Paul knows where he stands. He's saying some hard things here. Look at, he says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. He's saying, I, am, I know that I am pleasing in God's eyes because of what Christ has done. And in light of that, nothing else matters. And so all I'm going to do is live into God's word and what he is speaking into me. He knows where he stands. He knows that he is in that peace that we spoke about last week. And he knows it's personal. This past week, a great teacher, an apologetic leader in the faith, Ravi Zacharias, went home to be with the Lord. He said this. He says, when you come to a religion, you come to a place. But when you come to Jesus Christ, hear this, you come to a person. When you view yourself, do you view yourself in light of that person living and active? And I think there's kind of two ways that we can falsely view ourselves. One is in a religious way where I view myself in a pious or kind of like the Pharisees where I feel like I've earned something, where I feel like I, I gotta do certain things, where it's all about my behavior 
and the things that I do. And there's all of these things that I need for the gospel. And that's a hard question. It's a question I've been asking myself. I've been asking this question. If the gospel is enough, hear this with gentleness. If the gospel is enough, do I, what if I can't go to church physically? I know in scripture it tells us to gather, but right now if I can't go to church, is my relationship with the Lord tarnished? Can I still experience church through online church and different avenues? For a time, but that's a hard question. But I think if Paul was writing this letter to me and you, he would say, yes. He would say the most important thing you can do right now, Logan, is glance at all these issues and gaze at your Savior. You still work hard, you strive hard, you stand up, but keep your eyes fixed on your Savior. And we need that gut check together. We gotta check this view. And the other side of this, as I check myself, is one, I might fall into more of the religious side, and the other one is I might fall into more of a, I am just such a horrible sinner that I'm just way too far gone. That I, I get that that's good news, but it's my bad news overwhelms the good news. And I would just encourage you, if you think that, Join me again and gaze at the cross. And think about the significance of the Son of God, the triune God who created all, shedding his perfect blood for you and me and for all that sin so that you can be righteous in his eyes it is by grace you are saved through faith in what Jesus has done. That is the good news. That is the good news. And as we think about this together, as we ask these questions, I think the response should always be the gospel response as we continue to preach this gospel to ourselves and ask ourselves, am I asking these questions? Am I adding on if we're being honest and trying our hardest to just have this focus, this, this gospel centrality in our lives where that is our fuel? The best, most effective response is confession and repentance to confess, Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. Jesus, I have these selfish ambitions, change them in me, help me to be the man or the woman that you've called me to be. Guide me to not add on to the gospel, help me to breathe in the good news and let that be good news to you. I love this verse from Come Thou Fount. I want to read it over you as you think about this. 
You're going to hear a lot about gospel and grace in Galatians. And he says this, O oh, to grace, grace, the free gift. O oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let that goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Do not, do not desert him. Do not desert the one who brings life, the one who's done everything. Do not desert that gospel and let that flow out of us into everything that we do. Grace and peace to you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your gospel. And as I say gospel, Lord, I pray that you will continue to help our minds to understand this incredible gift of grace. That I am a sinner, that I have fallen short, but you have paid the price of my sin because of my faith in what you have done. And Heavenly Father, I pray that as we think about that, that this would be our motivation. That this would be what we gaze at. That we would glance at everything else and gaze at you and recognize that we are with you. And that you are with us, guiding us and leading us. Thank you, Spirit, for those truths. And we pray this in your name, in the name of King Jesus. Amen.